in the last couple of weeks, I am very confident that particularly speaking about those of you with younger children, especially children that are old enough to speak, old enough to watch commercials, old enough to see things on the internet, that there's been some sort of a conversation. There's a holiday coming up, or maybe there's been a recent birthday that you have experienced. What would you like for your particular celebration? Would you give me a list of things that you might be interested in receiving from grandma and grandpa or for mom and dad or from someone else as the case may be? I remember some 40 years ago that question being asked to me around this time of year. And I remember actually sitting with pen and paper and writing down things and making a list that was very long, very detailed as to the things that I wanted and so when you think about this particular concept, uh, I'm going back, way back to the 80s here, where you have hot stuff. All the coolest gadgets from 1986 when I would have been about seven or eight years, or I would have been eight years old at this time of year in 1986. Those of you that joined me in the late 70s and early to mid 80s can appreciate some of the images that I'm putting up. Those of you that are probably under the age of 10 do not understand what you have missed in that there used to be a store called Toys R Us, a storefront, a literal place where you could go and all it was was toys. And Jeffrey would come out and he would shake your hand or you would shake his paws, the case may be, and everything was great and the world was wonderful. I know I've caught the attention of those who are maybe eight or 10 years old at this particular point, probably maybe more so than ever before. One of my favorite images that I came, apart, came, came across was this. I was a big fan of G.I. Joe in the, in the mid-80s. I don't know where exactly in my garage, but somewhere in my garage is that airplane. Some of you are saying, oh, you know where it is. It's tightly wrapped and protected. It has a plane that sits underneath it with a soldier underneath, and the planes come apart. Everything goes out. It's wonderful. On my difficult days when I'm stressed, I get it out and play with it. <laughs> those were the things on my wish list, some of those. Some of you may have wished for Light Bright back in the 80s and 90s. Some of you today, I know of at least one individual who has, his parents are going to kill me for this, but wishing for a pet horse. I know things. But I wanted to take this time of year when people are thinking about gifts and uh, when people are thinking about things that you enjoy receiving and things that you might put on your wish list and think about what it is that Jesus would put on his list this time of year or any time of year. And it seems to me there's a long list of things that he wants, but at the same time, there's a relatively short list of things that he wants. The Phil Maine taught our young people's study today, and one of the points that he made in finishing out our minor prophet study from 2023 is that, in essence, God really doesn't want that much from us. He wants everything. The irony is, is that's very little because we don't have that much to offer. And I thought that he made some very good points in that class. But I'm struck by the middle section of John chapter 17, which is where I want to finish tonight. Uh, in our time together, 
and use those seven or eight verses to help us understand a list of four things that our master wants. That if someone were to say, Savior, Master, Teacher, what do you want? He says, I want you to read John 17, verses 11 through 18, and that's what I want. So let's read those eight verses here where he says, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I have kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. And these things I speak to the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And uh, you could go and read the final verses and certainly make a, a list of maybe the fifth or the sixth thing. But I wanted to just look at four things that our master wants for us. Let me suggest to you that this is in some ways a maybe more basic kind of a study. But yet I think there's at least one or two things that you will notice in the study that may challenge you, and that certainly is my goal together tonight. First and foremost, Jesus says, I want my people to be secure. I want them to be safe. I want them to feel a sense of safety around them. And how fitting it was that Brother Joseph prayed for us tonight, and he said, please give us safety. And we oftentimes pray for safety in a physical way, and rightly so, and we don't want anything bad happening to any of our loved ones in a physical way. But we certainly pray for spiritual security. Keep us from that evil one. And we even sang about that earlier today. In fact, I would argue with you, and I probably wouldn't be much of an argument, that one of the most natural or basic desires of humanity is a feeling of security. Uh, we even have that idea of a security blanket, the idea that it makes you feel secure and it makes you feel safe. I was talking with a, a, a lady a number of years ago, and I may have used this illustration. She says, I wish I could go back, and this is someone in their 70s, I wish I could go back and feel like what it felt like at maybe six months old being in my mother's arms because that seems to be, to be a secure place when you're with your parent, wrapped up and especially bundled up on a night like this where it's cold, you are going to feel secure and you're not going to have any concern about anything going on in the world. Jesus comes along in verse 11 and he says, keep them through your name that they may be one as we are. Not necessarily a huge fan of the NIV, but he uses the word protected as rendered in the NIV in this particular place. And so it seems to me that there are a lot of different ways that Jesus goes about keeping us secure where he says, this is what I want for you. I want you to feel secure. I want you to feel safe. I want you to feel a sense of protection around you. 
Certainly, that is true in everyday basic life. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, probably one of the two or three most quoted verses in all of 1 Peter, it says, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. And so when you are in a disastrous situation, we are to go to God in prayer and say, please keep me safe. Certainly, there were those who were more concerned than others last evening at around this time because of storms that were ravaging this area. And certainly, our brother Daniel rightly prayed on behalf of those who've been affected this morning, uh, last night, uh, prayed this morning, that keep us secure at a time of physical storm. But certainly it's not just that, but it would also include an assurance of the salvation that's been provided to us. And so I was thinking about the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Chapter 1 of Ephesians is a great book to study, and you can do so a couple of different ways, uh, and each of them have their own way. But look at verses 13 and 14. Verse 13 starts with the classic in him statement, and there's a number of those in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, starting in the earlier part of the text. It says, in him, and by the way, it's fitting that Brother Michael led us in that song, Jesus, you are all to us, because it's in Jesus you trusted after you heard the word of the truth and the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee, that's the New King James Version. Some of you may have the word pledge, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of glory. And it could be that you say, God, not only might you protect me in my salvation and keep me from the evil one. In fact, Jesus would pray something very similar to that or lead that in that model prayer that he provides for us in Luke chapter 11. But thirdly is this desire for faithfulness. And that takes us to Colossians, just a couple of pages over in your Bibles in the first chapter, and in verse 23, near the end of that first chapter, where it says, if indeed you continue in the faith, you will be grounded, you will be steadfast, and you are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, which I, Paul, became a minister." When I read Colossians 1.23, there are two things that jump out to me that I almost always bring up in a private study or in a public study. One is it's an if statement, which seems to me goes all the way back to the beginning of the paragraph, and it attaches to verse 5, where it talks about the hope that you have if you continue. But the second thing is if you want to write the word security or protection or just S-A-F-E out to the margin, God says, I'll keep you safe. Now, you have to draw near to me for me to draw near to you, as we studied in James chapter 4. We can't just throw caution to the wind and act however we want and never do what the Lord wants us. Well, he's going to protect me. We have to stay on his side and be about his business. That doesn't mean that difficult things don't happen to God's people. But ultimately, we know that protection comes from the one who provides us security. And Jesus says, First thing on my list is I want them to be secure. But secondly, I wanted to be a joyful people. And I wanted to spend an extra maybe minute or two on this particular concept. Um, spending a dozen years in Southern California, you got very used to hearing people going to the happiest place on earth. 
And well, Disneyland, or here on this side of the continent, Disney World may be one of the happiest places on earth. It seems to me that one of the happiest places should be in a church assembly, or some of the happiest people in the world should be Christians. And certainly that's the case when it comes to us. We are happy people. We want to be joyful people. It doesn't mean that we don't have difficult days. It doesn't mean that we don't cry. And it doesn't mean that we don't sometimes have difficult circumstances to work through. But for whatever reason or reasons, we, it seems to me, and this is going to be a little bit, not controversial, but this may challenge you a little bit, and I hope that it does. But it seems to me that we are reluctant to broadcast our happiness and our joy to the world. And instead, we as Christians maybe want to somber it up a little bit. And I think I figured out after 40-some years of why that may be the case. Perhaps we'd feel like we'd be like the denominations. Do you have any denominational friends who are just really on fire about their church organization? I do. I mean, that's all they talk about is what they're doing at Church X, Church Y, or Church Z. And you've got to hand it to them for the fact that that's pretty much all they talk about. And they talk about how God has saved them and all these things. And, and our response is, I wish you could see the error of your way in being a part of something that's not the Lord's church. And that's, that's a, an appropriate response, an appropriate thought process, appropriate reaction. But I don't want to be like them. So I can't be happy and excited and joyful. Do our closest neighbors, friends, and coworkers know that we are members of the church that belongs to Christ? Do they know that we are excited about that? And do they know that we are happy about that? And sometimes we're reluctant to share that with others. Now, the caution the caveat is that we can't be happy and be in sin. If you're happy tonight and you're joyful and you're excited about life and your life is not where it needs to be, I hope that you go home and have a miserable night. And I say that with some joking, but also with some seriousness associated with it. You can't say, well, I, preacher says be happy. Oh, I'll go out and do whatever I want. No, the Bible says, be joyful in doing what the Lord has asked you to do, even when it comes to the difficult things. In fact, we will take joy in our suffering. Read 1 Peter chapters 3 and 4 if you want to appreciate that. But Jesus wants us to be a people of joy. Go back to our text. And here in John chapter 17 and in verse 13, look at what the Savior says. He says, but now I come to you, Father, these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He says, I want them to be a people of joy, a people of happiness. But I wanted just to take an extra second or two and ask the question, and that is, why is it that Jesus, in his list of four things, as I've kind of characterized it, why does he say, I want these people of mine to be joyful? And there are a lot of reasons why he may want that, but let me suggest to you two. One is this, he knew that life is going to get a bit difficult. 
And go back and read the book of Hebrews chapter 4, for example, where it says, and Hebrews elsewhere, where it talks about that he was at all points tempted, even as we are yet without sin. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands what we go through. I have long thought about this, and maybe I'm overthinking it, that when I go to God the Father in prayer and I say, here's the challenge that I'm going through, or here's the the difficulty that I'm trying to navigate or the thing that's bumming me out or whatever the case may be. And the father says, huh? And then Jesus steps in as our mediator and he says, yeah, I know what he's talking about. Oh, father says, I'm glad that you're able to explain that to me. Now, I'm not suggesting that our father is not omniscient, that he doesn't already know those things but that Jesus is the one who provides us that go-between to get us to the Father. There's something about the fact that he was able and is able to understand what we go through and what we are going through and what we are going to go through. And let me suggest to you, secondly, he also knew that in order for us to be effective in reaching and teaching others, that a happy, joyful disposition would go a long way. Someone says, would you like to come to church services with me at Northfield? Or would you like to study your Bible with me? Well, why would I want to come there? Why would I want to study that book? Because a preacher told me to ask you. I mean, that's being kind of joking, I understand. But because the elder suggested I invite you. No, because it's a good place to be. This building in and of itself is not necessarily good nor bad. It's just here. We're talking about these people they are profound because they are the people of God, and the God that we serve is profound and is filled with all kinds of joy himself. I know of a preacher who years ago would talk about Christians that seem to be some of the saddest people in the world. Let us be people of joy and exhibit that in the world that we live in that needs that. Thirdly, he wants us, Jesus, on his list of things that he wants, he wants us to stand out. For indeed, one of the worst things that we as saints can do is to blend in with the world. And the great irony in that is the one thing that is the most natural to do is to blend in with the world. I mean, none of us like to be singled out for being different. I mean, some of us, are a little bit odd, are a little bit different. Some of us are very normal and not at all different in any way. But when you go to grade school or when you go to your first job and someone singles you out because you look funny or you talk funny or you walk funny, it's uncomfortable. And so we want to blend in and just kind of go with the flow. But yet Jesus comes and he says, I want her to stand out. I want, when you walk into a room, I want someone to say, there's something different about her. There's something different about him. And it may not be immediate, and it won't be because you look different necessarily, though that could be the case. But it's going to be the way that you talk and carry yourself and the things that you stress and the things that you uh, talk about as being most important. This is a strong temptation because being different is difficult. 
And so we go to verse 17, probably the most quoted verse of, of, of chapter 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What does that word sanctify mean? Well, we oftentimes use the idea of set apart, uh, being sacred. And I think that's, that's fine. Uh, and that's certainly uh, legitimate. But literally, it's the idea here in this context of it seems of purifying them. I want you to make them different. In a world full of dirtiness, clean these people up, make it so that they stand out and so that people take notice. Now, Jesus knows that the word of God is what is going to do this, which is why he says, your word is truth. That's what sanctifies them. That's what purifies them. Why do we study our Bibles as much as we do? And why do most of us say, I wish I could study more, or I really need to study more, or I hope that I have opportunity over the next couple of months to maybe add a few extra minutes of study to my day. All of us want to improve in that. Why do we do that? Bible knowledge is important. That's true. We do it because of a sense of it makes us feel better, and that's fine too, because when you read the Bible, it does make you feel better. But one of the reasons that we read our Bibles as much as we do is because we become purer, more sanctified, so that we can stand out more. If you want to blend in with the world, stop reading the Bible and stop letting it do its, its power on you. But we don't want that. We want to be different and stand out. Let me suggest to you, fourthly, and finally, that Jesus wants us to be ambassadors. That word is not used here, though it is a word that is used in a text that we may make reference to in just a moment or so. But I want you to go back to that very final verse that I read here in verse 18, where it says, I have sent them into the world, and I'm reversing the order as you sent me into the world. What is Jesus's role? What was his purpose in coming? Well, in short, to seek and save the lost. That's what he said his mission was. But Jesus came some 2,000 years ago to fulfill the law, to redeem mankind, to lay down his life, to bring about everything that the Lord uh, God had prepared for all of eternity before the foundation of the world. And so it seems to me that when he says, I have sent them, that is my followers, which I understand he's talking a lot about the New Testament disciples here, and maybe in another section he then blends over to the, all, of, all of his followers, all of the saints. But I want to make a universal application here about all of us, and that Jesus did not send us as his followers to do or to say whatever we want. We do not have that luxury. We do not have the luxury of being able to, to go off script. You think about what an ambassador does today for any particular country, the United States or another country, and he or she is responsible for carrying the message of, in this case, the United States to England, to Israel, to Egypt, to whatever country around the world he or she is an ambassador to. And furthermore, if he or she does not do what the boss says to do and goes off script, 
that person's probably going to lose their job or at least get reprimanded very quickly. And that stands to reason. If you were the president of the United States and you got to choose, as is the right, to pick who your ambassadors are, you want people that are going to be on the same team, be on the same page, believing the same things, stressing the same ideas. And so Jesus says, I want my ambassadors to go and be sent out into the world and to do my mission. But there are two passages that came to mind to me, and you probably have already thought of a couple of those passages. One of those is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and in verse 10. In chapter 7 and verse 10 uh, is not the passage that I want. You know, in 20-some years of preaching, 90% of the time when you pick out a passage, I, I, I may not be talented enough, but I'm talented enough where I can go and I can make something out of it. I cannot figure that one out. I don't know what that misprint is. Anybody know what I meant by that? There's another passage somewhere in there that I meant. So there's no, there's no recovery from this. So the sermon's over. So I'm done. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I, the passage that I'm thinking of, and it's going to come to mind here pretty quickly, Uh, here is the idea where Paul himself says, I am an ambassador for Christ. Paul doesn't say, I am an ambassador for myself or for my own idea. And you're welcome to Google that real quickly. Or those of you that are good Bible students have already figured out where I went wrong. But the other passage that comes to mind and hopefully does work out, uh, and it does here, is, and I know where I was going with that particular passage here. There was a point that I was going to make here. Uh, In chapter 11, verse 23, let's just skip over there. It's where he says about the Lord's Supper. What does he say at the very beginning? The part that we just kind of skip over real quickly. For I received from the Lord. Paul didn't say, hey, I came up with this great idea about the Lord's Supper. No, he says, the Lord gave me the information. And instantly, that's the point that I was going to make in chapter 7, verse 10, because he uses the similar language. So now I remember where I was going with that. Uh, But so the point being, Paul says, I don't get to say what I want to say. And when someone comes to me or to David or to one of our shepherds or to one of you as a, as a member of this congregation and more importantly, as a member of the Lord's church in a, in a worldly universal sense, you don't have the right to say, well, in your mind, I know that I need to tell this person that what he's doing is wrong, but I'm not going to because I don't want to hurt his feelings, or I'm going to say something different. You and I do not have the right. And our boss has a right to say, pull us into the office and say, you have no right to tell them that. Think about Jesus as calling you into his office and saying, why did you not tell them the truth? You told them something different than what I was saying 2,000 years ago when it came to their marriage, when it came to their lifestyle, when it came to their choice of language, when it came to the kinds of conversations they were having. I told you the very things. And so Paul says, I'm receiving these things from the Lord. If you don't like the message, take it up with me, take it up with him. And in fact, sometimes we say that in, in so many ways. If, if you don't like the things that we are preaching that come from God's word, it's not a matter of being upset with us, though largely you're going to be upset with the human being that tells you those things, but rather with Jesus, the master. 
And so Jesus doesn't want us, as I said last week, and I'm going to say probably a couple of times over the, last, or over the next few weeks because it's been on my mind a lot. He doesn't want us to be private followers of him, but instead wants us to be on the front lines. You know, uh, I, I cannot tell you who the ambassador of the United States to Cameroon is. I don't know. Cameroon's on my mind for some reason today. I know why. I don't know who he is or she is. But you know what? It'll take you all about 10 seconds to find out. These days, it'll take you 10 seconds because it's public knowledge, not private. We are ambassadors, and you can log on. Not really. But you can log on and find out that your name is listed as a Christian because you have advertised it to the world. And that's okay. We want the world to know that. We are on the front lines fighting for him. I love the idea of Jesus' wish list. And I hope that these things have been helpful to you. And I hope furthermore that we can appreciate that Jesus did indeed take the time to share his wishes with the Father about you and me. And it seems to me there's nothing wrong with us doing the same. So there's really two final applications. One, we need to be praying to our God about the things that we want in our lives. Parentheses, always being thankful for what we have and making sure that we praise him more than we ask him. And secondly, that we are people who carry out his mission and fulfill his wishes. And you can do so tonight. And that's what we want to try to encourage you to do. If you are a child of God and you are not living correctly and you are not fulfilling the wishes that our Lord has laid out for you in John 17 or any other passage, we hope that you'll make the correction tonight to come home. And as David said this morning in his invitation, we'll pray for you. We'll be there to hear your confession. We'll be there for you to lean on. And we'd be happy to have the honor of encouraging you. If you're not a Christian and there are those who are present, who likely are present, who uh, have never been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, you may have been putting it off or maybe you've just like, that's never even been on my mind. If it's putting it off, why? If it's never been on your mind, can we... Make a, maybe put it on your mind and put it on your heart and allow you to begin thinking about that. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter the mistakes of your past or the regrets of your past. God says, I'm faithful and I am just to forgive you of sin if you do what I've asked you to do. And so if we can baptize you tonight or study with you toward that goal, we would love the opportunity to help you while we stand and while we sing.